Bible, I want to invite you to open up with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, last week, we had the fun talk about the first part of Ephesians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, Paul encouraged them towards, uh, uh, towards purity, towards sexual purity and, and loving each other. Um, and we had a fun time with that. And then, so now we move to another exciting topic and we're going to talk about death today. All right. So uh, two weeks in a row, we're just uh, exciting here. But I think as I read through this letter, one of the things that I'm struck by this chapter, Ephesians chapter, first, I don't know what Ephesians, First Thessalonians chapter four, is the idea that the Bible is always relevant. Um, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, and yet you could very easily make a case that someone living in our culture, uh, just like it was living in Paul's culture, could write the words that were written and they would still apply, they would still help us, they would still minister to us. And so uh, what we're going to look at here today is simply titled, A Better Way to Deal with Death. And um, I appreciate it because we all wrestle with this. There was a wife who grew tired of her husband laying around on the couch all morning long while she was doing all of the work around the house. I know this has never happened to anybody here, but this happened once in a faraway place. Um, she got so annoyed after just walking by him and watching him lounging her all day that she nagged him into going to the grocery store for her. And so she sent this special list, someone came up, that, that she sent him, she turned off her cell phone, said, honey, I want you to go to the store and I want you to get 3% milk, seedless strawberries, fat-free hummus, wheat things, the ones in the blue box, uh, unsour cream, diet, diet Coke, you might have to ask for help for that when it's brand new, mellow cheese and organic Pop-Tarts, and uh, sent him off on his merry way. So I don't know if he ever came back, it didn't have a conclusion to the story, um, but I thought many a wife, if you're looking for, if you, here you go wives, there's your, my favorite to you. If you ever want to make up a fun list and get your husband out of the house for a couple hours, there you go. Um, I'm sure as a husband who has been sent to the store with a list of things that I could not find that were real things and I couldn't find them having to call make the 15 calls home to say, what, which one, what, do you, what is this? I don't know what this means. And so um, maybe I'm the only one, but I know that's, that's a frustrating place to be because it's like a never-ending cycle, a never-ending thing where you can't seem to get out of. And, and the topic we're going to look at today on dealing with, with death on dealing with grief um, is certainly one of those at a much more serious level that you and I can very much feel like someone who's stuck in a place where um, I don't know how to get out of this spot. I don't know how to fix this spot. I don't know the solution to this. And, and that's why I appreciate the words that Paul writes here today, because I think he gives us a better way to deal with death than to just... Um, roll with it than to just try to make the best of it, uh, I think he gives us um, a direction. And so I hope today that as we read through this text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through verse 18, I, I hope that this will give us some wisdom on how we uh, approach this theme of death and dying and grief um, with not in a way where everything is fine and we make all the pain go away, but in a way that helps us to, to maybe process it and think about it uh, with the help of our faith in Jesus Christ, okay? So let's read our text and then we're gonna walk our way back through it and bring some things out that Paul highlights. Verse 13 says this, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So let's just get this out of the way first. This passage is gonna talk about those who sleep. Uh, first of all, this is not an excuse for you to sleep, okay? You need to stay with me. Um, but the Bible uses this metaphor for Christian people, that those who are in Christ, that when they die, it doesn't usually say the word death. It talks about those who sleep. Um, and it's just the idea that the body is going to sleep and it's waking up um, in, a different, in a different place. And so, because um, when 
when you, there's a difference between being dead and being asleep, right? If you're asleep, you're going to get up again. If you're dead, you're just dead, okay? And so this passage is going to use that, that metaphor a couple of different times. So I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air, to meet the Lord in the air, excuse me. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I, uh, I appreciate those words at many levels. Um, read them often at funerals and uh, they are helpful words. They don't fix everything because I think it, 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 no matter whether you're a Christian here today or a non-Christian here today, uh, the first thing I want is to get on the table here is that we all deal with death, right? Death is a part of all of our life. We don't think about it. We try to avoid thinking about it as much as we possibly can, but death is a reality that we all deal with um, in our life. And so because of that, um, we need to just define that and get our cards on the table here, that Paul, when he writes these words, is not giving you a formula that says, hey, non-Christian people are going to really struggle with death, and Christian people, no problem, you'll be fine. Paul is not making an argument that death is ever an easy thing. We all deal with death, whether we're Christians or non-Christians. And Scripture describes death as the last enemy to be destroyed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, that indeed is the way it feels. We have come a long way in a lot of things in life. We have technology. We have advanced in so many ways. But the one ultimate thing, I guess there's two things. There's, ta there's taxes and there is death, right? Uh, we just know it's coming. And like a, like a large shadow that just kind of looms over our life, um, we know that no matter how long we live or how well we live, I can eat all the kale I want, eventually my day will come. Death will still come. Um, it's, it's one of those universal things that we all have to deal with. And the reason that death is the last and greatest of our enemies to be destroyed, according to the Bible, is because nothing separates us from others as powerfully and as painfully as death does. Nothing on earth ends a relationship like death. There is no reset button. There is no do-over. And if that relationship is bad when death comes, there's the pain of never being able to make it right again. If that relationship is good, there is the pain of it being gone and done and that their life isn't as good here anymore. If that death comes early, then there's always the wondering of what could have been as if something were stolen from our life. Author Edgar Jackson in, uh, is quoted by Charles Swindoll in the book Growing Strong, and he describes grief in these words. Grief is a young widow trying to raise her three children alone. Grief is the man so filled with uncertainty and confusion that he lashes out at the nearest person. Grief is a mother walking daily to a nearby cemetery to stand quietly and alone a few minutes before going about the tasks of the day. Grief is the silent, knife-like terror and sadness that comes a hundred times a day when you start to speak to someone who is no longer there. Grief is the emptiness that comes when you eat alone after eating with another for many years. Grief is teaching yourself to go to bed without saying goodnight to the one who has died. 
Grief is the helpless wishing that things were different when you know they are not and never will be again. Grief is a whole cluster of adjustments, apprehensions, and uncertainties that strike life in its forward progress and make it difficult to redirect the energies of life. I appreciate those words because I think it it encompasses what grief is. That grief isn't just one thing, it's many things. Emotions, relationships, thinking, it affects us in so many left, so many ways, excuse me. And for those who are left behind, death is the separation between when we saw them and when we will see them again, or if we will see them again. And, And so death stings, death is painful. Death seems to have the victory over our life. And so what do we do with that? What do we do about death and grief? Well, there's a video I came across this week produced by Dan Stevers that that kind of encompasses the feelings of grief and death. And so I I want to show that to you. Um, And it's kind of poetic. And so you kind of have to pay attention to it. But just, I think the imagery he uses, I think paints uh, an accurate picture of where death and grief and loss can lead us. So you can play that, please. a broken feather there's no beauty left there's nothing here for me I'm paper thin I'm in a room of shadows and it's caving in I'm turning in circles I'm giving up the world is giddy the sense is gone the floor is an ocean I'm sinking in where are you now Where is your touch? Where is the reason, the answer, the end? Now I'm chasing your shadow and I'm grasping for questions. I'm calling out, I'm asking why. Yet when I turn, you turn. When I reach, you reach. And in the searing burn, you wait for me. Dress my tears in kisses, cradle my grief, touch me in the silence, hold me in the heat. And when the ragings rush, drown me in defeat, I make my bed of dust, and you lie with me. Death has always been hard on us. 
It has always taken a part of us that we can't explain and we grieve when it's gone. And so when I talk about what we're going to talk about here today, and as Paul writes the words that he writes, please do not think that Paul was writing from a flippant point of view or from a, oh, this will take care of it. Here's a quick fix perspective. Paul certainly writes with the mindfulness of the pain of grief. And I think it's from that deep pain of knowing loss, of knowing the hurt that death brings. I think it's from that place that Paul is able then to write the words that he writes today and that we read today. And so I am thankful that Paul speaks into this issue because much of what Jesus came to do um, ultimately was to save us, but he, what did he have to save us from? He had to save us from sin, he had to save us from hell, but he had to save us from death. And so the gospel is very much about what does that mean when I look at death in my life? And so I think as I read the words that we read a moment ago from our text, the thought that this kind of came to me is that there has to be a better way to deal with death than to just pretend everything's fine or to pretend, well, I don't know. There's got to be something. And I think the Bible comes to us and, and Paul gives us a beautiful description of, of the place that we can begin to find new light. Uh, that grief sometimes leaves us feeling so dark, so discouraged, so alone. But where do we begin to find light for our life once again? And that's why Paul's words are so meaningful to us. There's got to be a better way. And so I see three things that Paul says to us, not as a, an, a, necessarily as apostle to a bunch of people who don't know a lot of things, but I think he, again, he's, as we've seen in this letter, he very much speaks as a pastor who knows and who loves people that are struggling with some issues, and certainly with this. And if you remind ourselves of where we're at in this letter, that Paul had come to Thessalonica, begun this new church, had been able to spend a month or two months with them, teaching them and discipling them and training them. And then he was forced out of town because of acts of violence for those who hated the gospel. And so he wonders about their faith. And it seems as in the meantime, since he left them to the time he's able to get in touch with them through Timothy, that people have begun to die in the church. Someone has died, we don't know how, we don't know who, but they begin to ask questions. Well, well Paul, if this whole thing is true, that, that Jesus is coming back and we're excited and we're ready and we're waiting, but then people begin to die, where, does, where do those people fit? What happens to them? What should we think of them? How, will they miss all this? Will, are they just out of luck because they're not alive when Jesus comes back? And, and they ask the question, then what's up with that? And so Paul writes these words from that perspective, answering their questions, filling in their knowledge. And, and so the first thing I would say that I, I think when we deal with the issue of death and grief and loss, I think the Bible would, would point us in this. And I think Paul would do so. The first thing is this, is that let God's truth define how you face it and how you deal with it and think about it. What is Paul doing? In the first part of, of this letter, he, he mentions the idea that I don't want you to be ignorant, uh, some of your translations might say, or uninformed. And Paul isn't insulting them when he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. He just says, look, there's a gap in, in your knowledge and you're wondering and you have questions and, and I want to begin to speak into that and I want to teach into that and I want to insert God's truth into that so that as you navigate the hurt and the loss that you're feeling, I want you to, hurt, I want you to navigate it with the compass that is God's word, God's truth. 
Um, I don't know if you've noticed, it's kind of nasty this weekend. Um, it's a cold, nasty weekend. And I don't know about you, but I was greatly discouraged yesterday. It was kind of a depressing day. Um, not for, it was a happy day for my, my life. My daughter had a birthday. But, but other than that, just the weather outside, it was cold. It was nasty. I looked outside at once and it was snowing. And I almost packed up my suitcase and said, I'm going south. I don't know where I end up. I'm just going until it's warmer and it's not snowing anymore because I'm so tired of cold. It's just cold. It's depressing. And then I, I looked on my weather app on my my phone and those are never wrong and so it, all I saw when looking forward like next week is all 60s and 70s and I thought oh there's hope there's hope and and this truth can help me to navigate some of the cold dreary snow sleet whatever that stuff was that fell yesterday it can help me navigate some of all of that stuff because truth can help change the way you respond and you feel and you think in difficult things. And so these Thessalonians, again, were were cold and they were frustrated emotionally just because of some loss in their life. And again, they believed that Jesus was coming, but they just had questions. And so Paul writes to them in verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep or those who have passed away uh, have died And we don't want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And so what is he trying to lead them through? As you read through this letter, what what he's trying to lead them to is kind of a process. He he wants his first objective, his desire is, is to remove their ignorance through biblical insight and to give them teaching, to give them truth, to put in a place where they don't have truth. They have questions. He wants to give them some truth. And he hopes that that truth he gives them is going to give them then hope because the truth he gives them is beautiful and it's it's life-changing and it's uh, heart-changing as you process loss. And so he hopes that it'll give them hope and ultimately as we get to the end of this passage, we'll finish the sermon by looking at the idea that he hopes that that hope is gonna drive them towards comfort, but it's also gonna drive them to remove a little bit of their grief and handle their grief in a different way. And so he, he wants to deal with their their loss and their hurts and their questions by, by giving them truth. And whether, whatever topic we're dealing with, whatever issue we're talking about, that is certainly a, a beautiful place to start in our life. Um, anytime you face a question, anytime you face something that you just don't know, uh, man, I'm confused, I'm lost. I hope that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, one of the first questions you have is, well, I wonder if the Bible says anything about this. I wonder if there's a piece of truth that I can insert into this uncertainty or this discouragement or this hurt or this loss. Is there a hurt? Is there a truth that'll help me with this hurt? Is there directions that'll help me to kind of navigate through? And and the Bible, the longer I know it and the more I read it, the more I see that, boy, it just speaks into the core of who we are as human beings. And whenever I hurt, whenever I struggle, whenever I I have questions, if I'm in God's word, I'm gonna find truth. It's gonna begin to help me define my problem and to help me with it. And so Paul just wants first and foremost for us to to, to understand that principle that yes, you are lost, you're a little hurt, you're just struggling, you have questions right now, but let me give you some truth. And so let's look at what that truth is. And that's the, the third thing on your outline there. You see God's truth, what is it? He wants you to let God's son transform it. You see, when we deal with the issue of death and dying and grief and loss, Man, there's no better thing that Jesus does for us than transform the process of, of grieving. Now, again, this is not, I don't say that flippantly, where if it just, Jesus comes and just blows it all away and you're fine. I know that grief is a moment-by-moment process that, that many of you walk through and, and have to wrestle with. Um, but I love what Paul does. 
The truth that he inserts into their hurting and struggling lives has everything to do with who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and what Jesus is going to do. And on the back of your outline, you'll, you'll, I printed the passage, and, and, and as we, we're going to read through the verses 14 through 17 again. And, and as I went through there, I just tried to underline in my own reading of, of what does Paul say? What's the, what's the thing he wants to fill in their ignorance or their uninformedness with? And he just kind of reminds them of who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what Jesus is going to do. And he ties everything all the hope that he wants to give them is not random. Hope you're okay. We all say that all the time. I, I, I sure wish you're gonna get along okay to hurting people. But Paul didn't just leave it randomly floating out there as some random wish. He anchors it to the life and the death and the resurrection and the ministry of Jesus. In doing so, I think he helps them. I underlined seven different things that I saw that Jesus did. Let's kind of walk through this passage. I've underlined them as we go back through here. Verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died. Now just stop there a second, okay? Two things to see there. When he uses the word Jesus, oftentimes in Paul's letters, he uses the word Christ a lot, or Christ Jesus, which kind of emphasizes the, the fulfilled, finished work of Jesus, that Jesus is now reigning at the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven. He is ruling. He is waiting to come back again. When Paul just goes Jesus on us and says, remember that Jesus died, I think he goes back to his humanity, he goes back to that part of Jesus that, that you and I relate with most, that Jesus was like us. He walked this earth as any of us did or do, and he lived, he hurt, he was tempted, he struggled, he, he grieved, he hurt, he lost, and, and the most comforting thing of all is that he died. He knows what that's like. I just think that it's a beautiful statement that often we can kind of blow past that because it's gonna get to some big grandiose things, but don't forget that when you struggle with grief, when you hurt, that you have a heavenly father who knows what it's like to watch his own son die. I think that's very comforting to know that I'm not walking through this without a God who knows what that's like. And so Jesus died. And, and, but not only just physically die, but that death that he died was a powerfully effective one because the thing that makes us die, the Bible says, is, is sin and its effects in our life. And, and Jesus' death certainly did away with that the curse of that. And, and so not only did he die, but he rose again in a couple of weeks. We'll celebrate Easter. We will celebrate all that Jesus did in that moment of, of dying and rising again. That yes, death was real to Jesus, but just as real as death was, so the resurrection was so real. And he ties it to the historical uh, events of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And, and he says, you know what? The reason I want you to have hope is tied to the real person of Jesus, his real death, his real resurrection that Paul himself was a witness of. It says, I just want you to know that if you're in Christ, there's this hope that you can tie yourself to, that your, your heart to, your hurt to, that says, hey, I know this really hurts, but, but there's this Jesus who is bigger than this. And he died and he rose again. And so we believe because he did it, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So, so what will happen to my loved ones in Thessalonica that, that were in Christ and, and they died? And what, where, what, where are they at? What's going to happen? Well, when Jesus comes again, he will bring them with him. And what a comforting thought that must have been for those who were wondering. It's like, well, whoever was in the church is gone. They've passed away. 
but we're going to see them again because Jesus will bring them again with him again. Go on to the next verse 15. He continues on in verses 15 and 16 to say this, that according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. In verse 16, Here's the next thing I saw, that the Lord himself will come down from heaven. So Jesus died, he rose again, he will bring with those who died with him, he will come down from heaven with a loud command. And there's three little statements he makes in there, he's gonna make a loud command, it's kind of a military term, it's kind of very much a, uh, when you walk into the barracks and you say ten hut kind of thing, and everybody responds, everybody snaps too. Um, that's the picture that when he comes back, he has the final voice of authority. And when he speaks, what happens? The dead in Christ will rise first. There's this resurrection that just like Jesus rose again, that we will experience that in Christ. And so this loud command, the voice of the archangel, which is probably Michael, and the trumpet call of God, again, uh, if you go back to the Bible and trumpets were oftentimes used to gather people's, God's people's attention, to gather their focus, to gather them, to, to, to gather them, period, all right? Just bring them together. And so what a beautiful picture that the trumpet blast comes and, and all those who have died in Christ come out of their tombs, they rise and, and they are gathered to him. So Jesus will come down from heaven. Jesus will make the dead in Christ rise from the dead. And finally in verse 17, after that, we who are still alive um, and are left will be caught up together with them to meet them, to meet, them, to meet in the clouds to meet the Lord. I can't read today, I apologize. But he gathers them, but not only are the dead brought back together, but then those of us who are alive when Jesus comes, we are gathered together with them. And then the greatest promise of all, there's a beautiful reunion he talks about, but then he says, and we will be with the Lord forever. Forever is a beautiful word in the context of death and grief and loss, isn't it? What a beautiful word that we will be with him forever. And that takes you back to Revelation, those, those beautiful pictures of heaven that there's no more death, no more dying, no more disease, no more darkness, no more sadness, no more funerals, no more goodbyes because forever changes all of that. And so Paul comes and says, for those who are in Christ, they have this hope that you don't have to go through, I've lost my loved one and, and the despair of, of what will happen. But in Christ, there's this hope that mixes with the grief that says, oh, each day is hard, but there's this hope on the horizon. There's this hope that I know is, is good and it is beautiful. It's tied to Jesus. And when he comes, oh, what a beautiful day. There's, there's resurrection and there's reunion and there's this gathering and, and there's this reign that we will enjoy with him forever. And so Paul comes and he encourages them to say, hey, I, I, in your hurts, there's a better way. I, I want you to replace your unknowing with, with this truth. And I, I want you to let Jesus transform the way that you process your hurts and your grief and your loss. Um, but then finally, number four, I, and this is the part that I, as I went through this passage again this week, it, it kind of struck me that Oftentimes when people, when you read commentaries or things that are written about this passage, they, they kind of mention verse 18 in passing, but really they get into charts and times and defining all these things. And, and yet when Paul wrote this, Paul's desire was, was simply this. Number four, he wants them to, uh, um, to let God's people minister. If you go back one, there you go. Let God's people minister to one another. How do we transform the pain, the process of death and grief in Paul's words? Well, we replace ignorance with God's truth that defines what's going on. And we let God's son transform it with the hope that comes with who he is and what he will do. But we also let God's people minister to one another. 
Paul said, hey, Thessalonian church, this truth, I want you to take it and I want you to apply it to one another. I want you to go to the people in the church that are hurting, that are struggling, and I want you to hug them, and I want you to minister to them out of this truth. Now, Paul doesn't say, therefore make charts based on these words. And if you, again, you can find, go online, you find dozens and hundreds of charts of people trying to figure out when's, where's, what's, and, and those aren't bad, but that's not what Paul's wanting you to do with this passage. He's not saying write theology books based on these words. He doesn't say set dates or sell your possessions or run to the hills or start Christian militias. That's not what Paul is after with this passage. The heart of this passage is a pastor saying, there are hurting people in the church in Thessalonica. And I want you to take this truth and I want you not to sit around and, and figure these things out. I want you to go love them. I want you to encourage them, comfort them with these truths. And I wonder if God doesn't get frustrated sometimes when we read a passage like this and our first thought is, well, I wonder when's and where's and, and we never get to the place of, well, I wonder if there's someone around me who's hurting. I wonder if there's someone around me who needs comfort or, or encouraging that I need to take this truth with and I need to love them, I need to sit with them, I need to comfort them, and I need to just remind them of the truth of the gospel that says Jesus is bigger than death. Jesus is bigger than the pain and the hurts. And, and, and hold on to Jesus because I know it's hard and I know this is painful, but there's a great day coming. And so the heart of this passage is, is in verse 18 where Paul is just encouraging them from, from a distance, love each other through loss. Love each other through your, through your hurt and through your grief. Be there for each other. Encourage each other with the gospel of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And I love the picture that as I was thinking about this, um, there's lots of places in the scripture where you can find this being this example. But I think the best one is in John chapter 11, where you find Jesus coming to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And it's a long chapter, we won't read it. But I just love the picture that Jesus comes to his friends, Mary and Martha, and, and their brother Lazarus, his friend that he'd spent many days in their home. There was a close friendship. And, and Jesus shows up there and Lazarus has passed away and he's been dead for a number of days now. And, and um, Mary and Martha are hurting. And if you read the end of the story, you know that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus knew that he was gonna do that when he gets there. That was not a surprise where Jesus did something and he didn't know he was going to do it. He knew exactly where this story was going. But I love the middle section where he does exactly what we've spoken today. In verses 25 and 26, he, he speaks truth into their hurt and their confusion when he says, I am the resurrection, the life. He who believes in me will, will never die. Do you believe this? And, and he challenges them with that whole idea that put truth into the midst of your hurts. But then he doesn't just put truth with it, he transforms it. But he doesn't just transform it, but he lets, he ministers to them. Three times in that passage, you find the beautiful words of faith. Everybody's at Bible, when we were memorizing Bible verses at camp, everybody always looked up Jesus wept because it's the shortest verse in the Bible and I get points for that kind of thing. And that was my favorite verse. But, but what a beautiful passage that is. That the same Jesus who knew he was gonna raise Lazarus from the dead, three times in that passage, it says he is overcome with tears. He is overcome with weeping. Now, why does he weep when he knows the end of the story? He weeps because he's encouraging and he's ministering to Mary and Martha who have lost their brother. He's, he, he weeps because he hates what death does. He weeps because he knows the hurt and the, and the pain that they are in because he loves them. And so when you and I go through, through times of grief and loss, um, 
I would just point you to Jesus. Again, it doesn't fix everything, but boy, what a faithful friend. What an understanding savior he is that, that can walk with us and help us. And I love the way that Paul would summarize what Jesus can do for us when we think about death, when he becomes the truth at the center of our difficult experiences. And, and he transforms it in these ways. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. And here's the best news ever for a person who has ever grieved. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? You see, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a victory to be gained. It may be a long time coming. It may be a hard struggle to keep focused on it. But in Jesus, he transforms the way that we grieve. We don't grieve hopelessly. We grieve with hope because it's tied to this, the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Max Lucado would say it this way, that death challenges our definition of God and challenges our faith. Indeed it does. Many of us have questioned God. We've questioned God's character. We've questioned where he is. It makes us wrestle with our faith when death comes. But the same voice that awakened the corpse of Lazarus will speak again and there will be no more death. Jesus made sure of that. Would you pray with me? Father and our God, we uh, thank you for the real hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the practical hope that it is. And it's not just wishful thinking, but it's tied to the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And because he won victory for us, I pray that that would impact how we grief today. May we not grieve hopelessly. May we grieve with hope because you know us, you love us, you are aware of us, you hurt with us, and ultimately you are able to bring life out of the grave. So Father, as you and I, as we walk this journey through life, and there are folks here today that are walking through that valley where there is grief and there is loss and hurt. Um, it is just my prayer for each one today that you would minister to them, that that truth would be a, a rock that they can hold to in difficult times and that the truth of Jesus would transform over time, day by day, um, their grief. And Father, give us, if we're not in the valley right now, Help us not to be calloused. Help us not to be blinded. Help us not to be in such a hurry that we miss our brothers and sisters around us who need us to minister to them, to love them, to listen to them, to sit with them, and to just remind them of the truth of the gospel, that Jesus is alive, and so there's hope. And so Father, just do a good work through this passage in our life, in our congregation.
And uh, thank you uh, for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, if we went through this passage today, there's a, there's a phrase that kept coming up that was kind of the root of that hope, and it's that phrase in Christ. And so maybe you're, today, you're here today and, and you have never made that step of, of putting your life in Christ, of, of repenting of your sin, of putting your faith in Jesus Christ and confessing him as your Lord, baptizing to him and beginning that life, letting that spirit work through your life and just living in him. And so maybe today is a day that you need to get that hope in your life. And so as we sing, we would love for you to come. We'd like to talk to you about that um, in uh, this time of decision. So if you need to make that choice today, would you come as we sing? Let's stand together, please, as we do.